Let's bow in prayer as we gather together as God's people today. Oh God, we come to you in the midst of a world where strange things are happening. A world where tensions are high because people are tired of being at home. A world where some people who would rather be at home have been out more than they ever imagined they would be. We live in a world where there's fear. Fear of what happens if we catch something we can't even see. Fear of who we might come into contact with and harm if we did. We ask, O God, that you would give us grace to be wise people, to make decisions that would foster our own health and those, the health of those around us. We ask that you would give us the grace to be courageous people, to do what we can safely do, and do it well, and do it because we are followers of yours. We ask, O oh God, that you would give us love, that we would be a loving people, whether that's up close and in person, whether that's writing cards to those you place on our hearts and minds, whether that's a phone call to a long-lost cousin, aunt, friend. Give us a heart full of love that with gratitude and with good memories we may reach out in love and service to others. Lord, we thank you for this church and for all of the churches in our community and around the world. And we recognize that most of them don't look anything like they looked on March the 8th. And yet we also know that just as the church gathers and the church scatters each week, that we remain the scattered church, each representing Christ in our own neighborhoods, each representing Christ within our families, each representing Christ in the workplace. Lord, thank you that the church scattered is no less than the church gathered, but is merely the church in a different form. Remind us of what it means to be the church scattered, witnessing to the love of Jesus Christ in every place that we touch as families, as individuals. Lord, we love you and we ask your forgiveness for the times that we have failed to be an obedient church, for those times when we've not done your will, when we have forsaken your law. We ask that your grace would be sufficient to show us where we failed and to guide us toward holiness and wholeness. And today we remember those who have lost loved ones, especially we pray for Jack Patty and ask that you would give him comfort and guidance. 
following Helen's death. We pray for all who love her, and we pray that your love, which never ends, would surround this family in compassion and in care. We pray for those who were hospitalized in odd times when visitation is limited beyond anything we've seen for many years. We pray that even when people are alone, that they would know that their loneliness ends the moment they whisper your name. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, and may your presence sustain me. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for your presence that knows no boundaries. Thank you for your compassion for us that reaches out to us not because we deserve it, but because you are love and you fiercely love those who reach out to you in faith. And so today we do reach out to you in faith and we pray that, we pray that prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes um, as a bit of a tongue twister as Paul writes about doing and not doing and recognizes that uh, what it is that he wants to do is not always what he does. And so here are the words of the Scriptures, beginning with Romans 7, verse 15. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members." Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God. 
but with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. We have this idea that we know there's such a thing as right and wrong. We have this idea that there are some things that we have the capability of doing that we shouldn't do. And there are some things that we should do that for whatever reason we decide not to do. We recognize that there is this reality between right and wrong. And Paul says when we recognize this, we know that there's such a thing as a moral law and the moral law is good. Now what is this moral law? Distilled to its essence, Jesus says the moral law is this pure love for God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything within us, everything that makes us us is tuned lovingly toward God. The second half of that, of course, is love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor that you enjoy seeing when you get home in the afternoon and if she or he is out in the yard, you'll talk to that neighbor. Also, your neighbor that kind of irritates you. And if you see the neighbor in your yard, you will raise the garage door and you will drive in and close the garage door behind you and then go inside. Love your neighbor as yourself. That neighbor that if you're in aisle A2 in Walmart and suddenly you see that neighbor coming towards you, you remember you need something from lawn and garden and go way over to the other side. The moral law is good. We recognize that the moral law is good. That there's a call on our lives to love God with everything we have. There's a call on our lives to love our neighbors, even the irritating ones, even those that we would never dream of going on vacation with, to love them as we love ourselves. We also recognize that we don't keep this moral law. We recognize that day after day, instead of seeing ourselves as God's people, instead of seeing ourselves as instruments of God's blessing in the world, we look out primarily for number one. Instead of seeing ourselves as the hands and feet of Christ, we let our own emotions and we let our own needs get in the way of being the blessing that God intends us to be in the lives of others and reminding ourselves that we belong to God. We, we want to do the right thing. Sometimes we want very badly to do the right thing. Sometimes it consumes us even on the inside. Am I doing the right thing? 
I want to love God, and if I really loved God, I would, I would be a different person than I am right now, which brings us to the fact that sometimes our desire to keep the moral law and our actions are in conflict with each other. It's really easy, for me at least, to wish that people in the world would change their behavior. It's really easy for me to wish that people in the world would act differently than they do and in a smug, self-righteous kind of way. I can point out on any given day of any given week somebody who has acted like a jerk. It's easy to do. But I also recognize that I am in the same boat. And sometimes it's very difficult for me to change who I am. I know it's hard to believe. There, there have been churches that I've served in the past where, where people will say and do things that are irritating. Someday I'll have, a, have, have an irritating second half of my day and then I'll go home and my irritation will spill over into my family life. The dog will get on my nerves more than usual. Now the dog legitimately got on my nerves yesterday. The dog weighs 46 pounds. We were going to grill hamburgers last night. The dog ate six ungrilled hamburgers. We had to go out and get more hamburgers. I was in a pretty good mood about it. We could relatively easy, easily fix that. But, but, but you, know, you know what I'm talking about. If whatever you're doing during the day, if you are irritated and you bring that irritation to your friends, to your family members... Later on in the evening, you might think to yourself, you know, that just wasn't good. I wish I hadn't done that. And then you make this resolution. I won't do it again. I've learned from this experience. I won't do that again. And 72 hours later, you find yourself in a similar situation you are irritated before you come home. You come home and your irritation spills over just as if you had not learned anything three days before. And you recognize what Paul says when he says, that which I do not want to do, I do. And what I do is not what I want to do. And therefore, it's not me that does it, but sin within me. There's a me that wants to do the will of God. There's an interior me that wants to grow in faith and hope and love, that wants to develop the, the virtues of the Christian life. There's this me that wants to be a follower of Jesus through and through. And yet, there is also something else. Something else. What is that something else? Paul puts it this way. I find this to be a rule, he says. A law. I find this to be true 
regardless of how long I don't want it to be true, how much I don't want it to be true. I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil is close at hand. And if you don't believe this is true, resolve to do something good in the next 14 days. Not just something ordinary. Resolve to do something good because you love God alone. Resolve to do something holy and good and, and, and blessing those around you. And I guarantee you, a hundred different things will come up. And whatever it is that you have set your mind on, you will find it true that when there's a part of you that wants to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. You'll know that just like Paul, the eye, the eye within you is at war with something else. So how do we escape this conundrum? Paul talks about it this way as he, as he thinks about the difference between what he's inclined to do and what, what he wants to do in the most spiritual part of him. He says, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I am a slave to the law of God. But with my flesh, I am a slave to the law of sin. As Christians, we have to be careful looking at this language that Paul uses. Because it's easier to, to fall into a kind of heresy if we don't think about what it is that Paul is saying. In the early church, Christians fought against a heresy that was identified as heresy very early on. The heresy of Gnosticism. Gnosticism says what's going on in your mind is good. What's going on in your body is bad. Therefore, if you want to know God, you've got to forget about the body and you've got to train the mind. Body bad, mind good. This is, this is not how Paul is describing the faith and not how Paul is describing sin. When, when Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about the body being evil. Now understand that if he was, there's a problem with the incarnation. Jesus took on a human body. And if bodies are bad, then the incarnation presents a problem. No, God created us as whole people with, with bodies, with hearts, with minds, with, with emotions. All of these things are good. They're a part of who God made us to be. Jesus himself entered into this physical reality. The Gnostics, the Gnostic heretics said, no, he didn't. The Gnostic heretics said, if, if he was embodied, then that's a problem. So he only looked like he was embodied, but really he wasn't. Christianity has never made that distinction. The incarnation, 
carnal, being flesh, being put in the flesh. Jesus in the flesh became one with us. And so Paul is not saying that the body, our physical natures are bad. Paul is not saying that the flesh is this, is this meat that we have on our bones. Some of us, more meat on our bones than we had March 8th, 2020. Some of us have to get newer summer clothes as a result of the flesh. When Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about our bodies. He's talking about that part of us that is opposed to the Spirit. He's talking about that part of us that is unspiritual, not the body. If you're going to bless somebody this afternoon... You're going to start by thinking it in your physical mind. If you're doing something for someone, you're going to do that with your physical hands. If you fall down on your knees to pray for someone, you're going to do that with with your... The body can serve God. This is not a body-mind dichotomy. How do we escape the conundrum? Paul gives us this answer in the next chapter of Romans. It's life in the Spirit. If the flesh is what keeps us from loving God here and now, the Spirit is what gives us the possibility of being God's people. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh, those who are guided by their natures and that within their natures that is not godly, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this conundrum that we live within, this this spiritual battle within us of wanting our own way but also wanting God's way, this battle is solved in no less a way than it's supernatural. This battle is solved when God Himself enters into our lives. We know how hard it is to make even the small changes. If you haven't flossed your teeth in the last 17 years, and today you say, I'm going to start flossing my teeth, good luck with that over the next three to four weeks. There are some scientific principles on habit formation that can make it easier, but good luck if you've not done something, starting to do it all the time and being totally committed to it. If you are committed to your own satisfaction and if you are committed to putting yourself first, understand that when that I within you that wants to love God 
speaks its word, there will be something else in your members. What Paul says, I find to be a law. When I want to do what's good, evil lies close at hand. That too will be present. That's why we depend on God. This God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this God who made us as whole people, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental people, who who puts us together as this complicated package of who we are. God made us. Christ gave Himself for us willingly. And the Spirit enters into our experience. And gives us a strength that comes entirely, supernaturally, to do what on our own we could never accomplish. What's your struggle? You know the old movie and uh, pictorial description of, of the man standing with the small little devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other and they're, they're fighting, they're fighting for the life of the man or the woman in the picture. What are those two natures struggling over in your life? Will you accept today the gift of God Himself to give you the strength To choose not the way of the flesh, but the way of the Spirit. The way of the Spirit will give you the courage to bless the world when blessing the world seems hard. To turn from sin when everything within you wants to embrace it. To live in love even when it would be so, so much easier to live another way. Dear friends, there is a conundrum. It's in my life. It's in your life. We know how hard it is to change, even even when we're committed to that change. But thanks be to God. God's committed to that change too. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, and the Spirit of God is present with the believer to make that change happen. Will you believe it? And will you accept it? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.